We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. What is up, Nets fans? Welcome to the Brooklyn Buzz. I'm your host, Nick Faye. With me as always, Jack Manuel. How you doing, Jack? Pretty well, Nick. Good start, not the best finish. Exactly. You know, good start, not a great finish. Nets lost this one, 108-96 in OKC against a very good team. But before we get into that, quick reminder, check us out, iTunes, Block Talk Radio, OGGBasketball.com, NetsRepublic.com, Dash Radio, and YouTube. Feel free to shoot us a comment, subscription, a review, whatever it is. But, Jack, I'm going to pass it to you. So, Nick, the first half seemed to be uh, a really positive impact, you know, 52-42 to 42 in the Nets' favor. Um, let's talk about that first before we get to the negative side of it in that second half. Yeah, Nets continued what they did against Detroit, and that was play great defense, force turnovers, get active in transition a little bit, get some good shots. Not necessarily a ton of free throws like we've seen in previous games, but that's because of OKC's you know defense. But overall, you know the first half felt like the Nets were in rhythm. They were kind of disrupting OKC, what they did to them in the second half. Nets were kind of doing their offense, like I said, continuing what they did against Detroit. Spencer Dinwiddie was great off the bench. Just overall, the team was playing well, some really good energy from Rodion's. D'Angelo had a couple good moments, and then the second half, it just all changed. So what changed, Nick? What are the specific things that gave OKC the momentum? Uh, I think a lot of it doesn't necessarily seem like the Nets were doing a horrible job, but that OKC were just doing a much better job. And with the talent uh, of the likes of two sort of top 10, top 15 players in Westbrook and Paul George sort of just took over. Yeah, you know, OKC just kind of turned it up. Not to say they weren't prepared for the Nets, but they didn't necessarily match their intensity in the first half. The second half, OKC took it to a playoff team type intensity. You know, physicality-wise, they really got into the Nets, disrupted their offense, took them out of doing things they wanted to do. Terrence Ferguson did an excellent job of smothering Joe Harris. Very few clean looks from him, kind of took him out of the game. And just the Nets kind of didn't react to it well. They got a little sloppy, started taking bad shots, settling, 
allowed OKC to get in transition. They got some easy shots. Seemed like the Nets were getting a little frustrated. You know, they weren't necessarily getting calls on the road, but that's something you're going to have to deal with. And they kind of allowed that to impact their play. So it was OKC turning their game up to another level and the Nets not doing it instead, kind of reacting in a negative way. Well, yeah, getting outscored 66 to 44 in the second half. Um, it's generally not going to be uh, a positive thing for the for the Brooklyn Nets. And um, I, I think that, you know, you're talking about Joe Harris. It's still looking at the box score, still three of six from the field. But uh, I really rate a guy like Terrence Ferguson. I really like his length. Obviously, um, I might have a, a mild amount of bias, the fact that he used to play in the NBL for a little bit <laughs> uh, for, the, for the Adelaide 36ers, uh, mind you. But uh, let's go through a few, few players, Nick. Yeah. Uh, Alan Crabb leading the team in minutes again with 35 minutes. Um, do you think that was justified? I think Kenny was probably trying to give him a rhythm. After the game during his press conference, he talked about wanting Crabb to take more shots. So I think there's just some confidence trying to get him going. And I think also Rodion's getting in foul trouble, him not necessarily wanting to play Jared Dudley a ton of minutes. So that's kind of why Alan Crabb got in there. And he was, you know, doing a good job staying active. And I don't think they were giving Crabb as much attention as they were giving Harris. So the opportunity for Crabb to have a big game was there. He just didn't do it. And he didn't, he wasn't aggressive enough. Yeah. Um, we Well, I coined him, Katy Perry. He's either hot or he's cold. <laughs> Um, but uh, unfortunately, he just wasn't hot tonight. But Rodon's obviously had some more minutes in the absence of Damari Carroll, Nick, 27 minutes, uh, before turnovers, four personal fouls. Um, what was the game like from him? You know, he had his moments, you know, bring the energy, bring the juice. Obviously, OKC is a better team than Detroit and some of the other teams the Nets have faced. So he kind of had to react a little differently. Also, defense a lot better from OKC, especially inside. So I think that kind of hurt his game. There's a couple times where he went for a dunk or a layup, and it kind of resulted in either an offensive foul or getting a shot blocked. So, you know, Rodion's is going to have to adjust to some of these other teams, especially ones that are – you know, superiorly athletic and more physical. You know, a lot of times he has athletic advantage where you look at a team like OKC, they're full of great athletes. And if they're not a great athlete, they have some great muscle. Yeah, I think there aren't going to be many teams in the playoffs Nets are going to come up against that are as athletically gifted as this OKC team. Maybe a team like Boston, uh, Toronto as well. <laughs> Those are two likely teams, actually. So maybe uh, I'm, I'm, I'm making my own words in that sort of sense. But I think Rodham's still having an impact is always a positive thing. Still having two steals, still doing his thing. Um, but looking at D'Angelo Russell, Nick, obviously 34 minutes, not the most efficient night, but three steals as well. Um, were they just sort of, um, he just got lucky, he just fell into the steals, or did we see some um, more defensive activity from him? I felt like in the first quarter, in the first half of this game, D'Angelo, Spencer Dooney, both were really locked in defensively, just getting their hands in there and just disrupting OKC, you know, and just not allowing them to get inside, poking at the ball, you know, results in a foul or not, but they got the steal. In the second half, it was kind of the opposite. Like, they just weren't as aggressive. They were kind of allowing OKC to have their influence on the game. They were doing, you know, uh, getting Russell Westbrook to isolate on D'Angelo Russell, putting him in a mismatch, and obviously he's not going to win that. So I think that was a real issue. Yeah, and in terms of the battle between the bigs, Jared Allen, Stephen Adams, who do you think uh, gained the ascendancy for their team? I feel like Jared Allen actually might have had a better first half. He was just more active. He was especially offensively. But then in the second half, Stephen Adams started to have a bigger impact. You know, either was it scoring or was it just setting good screens or getting those offensive boards, six offensive boards from him, and that was a big issue for the Nets tonight. Yeah, getting out rebounded 51 to 43. Not the biggest discrepancy, but at the same time, you know, when you've got a guy like Stephen Adams, who's one of the best rebounders in the NBA, um, I know I've had discussions with Nick on JVT before um, through through fan questions about whether it's him, whether it's Andre Drummond, but I, I rate Stephen Adams incredibly highly. But going to the bench units, Nick, you know, the, the likes of Ed Davis, Jared Dudley, 
uh, Spencer Dinwiddie, Karis LeVert. How did the benches sort of match up with uh, OKC? You know, I think they obviously missed Damari Carroll. Not to say Jared Dudley was bad, but Damari would have definitely brought a little extra edge, especially for some of those 50-50 balls and just some of those small plays. You know, Dinwiddie was awesome. Dinwiddie, definitely, the Nets wouldn't have been in this game without him, especially first half, second half. Getting to the rim, he had no problem, no matter who was on him in OKC. And I thought that was really impressive, considering OKC, most people would say, is the best defense in the league or, you know, top three at the very least. So his ability to get inside, 10 free throw attempts, 8-17 from the field, 25 points, I loved his game. Like, I love, I love the way Spencer's been playing you know I think the first two games back he wasn't necessarily amazing from the injury now he's kind of finding his rhythm and really attacking that second unit Karis Avert, you know, another hot and cold game, 3-10 from the field, no issue getting inside like we talked about on previous shows. It's just kind of finishing in there, maybe not necessarily getting the same foul calls he was early in the year being a bench player, and the, the refs can kind of tell he's a little out of control and out of rhythm. But four assists, zero turnovers, there was some positive moments. I think defensively he still had a solid game. You know, the Nets did give up some shot, shots to Westbrook in the pull-up range that he hit, but overall I thought Levert did a good job defending tonight. So just another hot and cold game for him, and if he can somehow find his balance before the playoffs that would pretty much be the x factor for this team in my eyes oh yeah absolutely uh, I, I couldn't agree more with that sort of thing he's got so much potential we've seen it sort of early in the season but harking back to spencer didn't we i think you know the fact that it was a nationally televised game sort of checking twitter every now and then spencer was getting a lot of love and i think that he may he may now be on one of the bargain contracts of the nba you know, I think someone, I can't remember who it was, it was someone from SB Nation or someone from Nestle. Someone was just putting out the fact that the fact that he is on less than $15 million per year as one of the best bench players in the league and starting level caliber players in the league is an absolute steal for the Nets. And, you know, he's at his peak and he's going to continue at this level. You know, we can't see necessarily any drop off, Nick. But um, a, a little touch on the turnover, 17 to 12. Um, was that much of an impact? Yeah, I think the first half it was the Nets were in favor. They were in control, forcing OKC to turn over the ball. Second half, I know in the third quarter alone at one point they had seven turnovers, and that's just because OKC turned up the defense. They were disrupting them, and the Nets weren't doing a good job doing that to OKC in the second half. So it's like they swapped roles from the first to second half, and I thought the turnovers were huge. It kind of allowed OKC to get some easy transition buckets. We kind of got them in rhythm offensively. Yeah, and I mean, you can't necessarily give that many turnovers over to one of the best teams in the Western Conference. So obviously it's something to tighten up. But uh, any final thoughts on this one, Nick, before we head into Utah? In fact, I'll pose a question to you via uh, the man himself, Michael Grady. Uh, how did the Nets respond when an opponent with firepower takes their intensity to a whole other level? Whole other level? Obviously, the likes of Paul George, Russell Westbrook against Utah. There's a guy like Donovan Mitchell who's a, a sensational player and is finding some real form. This Western Conference road trip is going to have some pretty tough opponents. So how do the Nets sort of adjust in that sort of moment? Is it on Kenny? Is it on the players? What are your thoughts? I think one thing for the players is to kind of stay with their game and not get frustrated. And, you know, at times the Nets will get flustered and then they'll start jacking up threes when they don't necessarily at that point where it's like, just relax, stay in your moment. Teams are going to make runs. I think it's just about the Nets kind of finding a, almost a balance and trying not to overstress the moment. Obviously, some of it's on the coach calling a timeout and some of the players adjusting. And then some circumstances, you know, OKC has, like you said, Jack, probably two of the top 15 players in the league in Westbrook and Paul George. Both guys had big moments in this game where they both got hot at a point, and there's not really a ton you can do. Obviously, you need to play better on your end, but sometimes you're just going to be outmatched. Yeah, and that, and that definitely happens. And obviously, you know, it'd be handy to have Trevion Graham and Damari Carroll back in, in the coming games over this road trip, but... It's going to be tricky nonetheless. So obviously we're just going to have to play with what we've gotten. Uh, any final thoughts, Nick, before we finish this one up? 
I think it's actually a benefit for the Nets that they faced OKC first on this road trip because this is probably the best team on the road trip in my eyes. So it kind of sets the bar, sets the tone. All right, guys, we weren't physical enough or we didn't match their intensity in the second half. If we play harder in the rest of these games, we'll have a really good chance to beat a lot of these teams. And obviously in that first half, we displayed a lot of good stuff. So I'm looking at it as a pod- positive. Also uh, positive for the Utah game. Utah is going to be playing their third game in the in four nights when the Nets match up with them on Saturday. So that's a plus. And also just a quick shout out, the Nets magic number is nine. Nine. What is what what why why is it a magic number, my friend? Magic number for the playoffs. Oh, okay. Gotcha. 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 So that's via um Matt Moore on Twitter. So he's been doing I know GNRY has been doing it as well. So nine is the number for the Nets. Real possibility for them to hit that. And like I said, I feel a lot better about the rest of the road trip, especially if they're able to kind of bring some of the positives from the last two games against teams like Utah, LA, Sacramento, teams that just aren't as good as OKC and they don't necessarily have as much star power to make you, you know, regret some of your mistakes. So nine is in nine more wins? Uh, it's either nine more wins, and I want to say it's a combination probably of, uh, you know, the team who's in nine losses. In oh, okay. Ninth. Yeah. So it's a yeah. combination. Nine more wins, would I think, yeah, they would lock it up for sure. But it's oh, a yeah, combination easily. thing. Yeah. Yeah, I think someone was simply putting out the fact that they could even win just four more games and be at 40 wins. Um, yeah. which would sort of, So, like, there's obviously so many other things. You know, the Wizards winning tonight uh, against the Magic certainly helps. All those different things. Detroit got blown out tonight. Reggie Jackson was injured. He said he was fine, but Detroit with two bad back-to-back games, maybe they could lose some rhythm. So things aren't terrible for the Nets, even with this tough road trip. No, not at all. And, and there's obviously going to be some some ups and downs, but you know how we respond to to it all is going to be you know a key sort of point going forward. But you know, one game at a time. I, I keep stressing that. And you know, there might be only twelve of them left, but this sort of road trip could dictate where the Nets sort of finish up. And you know, Utah, the Clippers, all these sort of games are going to mean plenty. And the fact that Detroit is is suffering a little bit and had a, a mild, a decent sort of stretch, and um, I think the Nets have a four game buffer or so on ninth and tenth. So Things are looking okay, but, you know, we need to keep doing the right things and hopefully we can uh, lock it up sooner rather than later because in less than a month, I will be in NYC, baby. Yeah, and Jack wants to see some playoff games. And yes, my sir. final thought as we get out of here, Spencer Dewan, he brought this up on his presser. You know, the Nets defense has obviously been improving, but he thinks offensively the, te- the team still needs to find a rhythm, especially all the guys coming back. So that's a positive. They believe they can improve on that end. And they play at a high level defensively, offensively, they'll give themselves a shot every night. Jack, always a pleasure talking Nets with you. Thank everybody for listening. Check us out, iTunes, Block Talk Radio, OTGBasketball.com, Nets.com, Dash Radio, and YouTube. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran. Marvelous Marvin Hagler and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website 
are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.